Good morning. Great to see you. And uh, today we are... So um, we've been looking at the first two chapters of the book of Acts. Um, so we started in Luke's Gospel and Luke carried on into his, uh, uh, the early church uh, with the book of Acts. And uh, we've read about the arrival of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth um, and on the first disciples and how they then go out into the streets of Jerusalem to share this incredible love of God uh, with all the people around. In fact, when, they, when the Spirit comes upon them, they end up uh, speaking in languages that means that 15, people from 15 different nations understand them in all their own different languages, um, in languages they've never learnt. And uh, in the middle of all of this chaos, Peter stands up, a guy who's never preached a full-length sermon in his life, and he gives this message to the people of Jerusalem, and 3,000 people come to faith uh, on that day. And then these, these 3,000 people, decide that they're not going to stick around on the, the side of kind of Christianity just a little add-on thing um, kind of over, the, over here they're not going to be a kind of low devotion people not even going to be in the middle but they're going to be fully devoted people they're going to be fully devoted to the apostles teaching to everything about Jesus they're going to put him number one in their lives from day one um, as they start on this new faith and so we read the people lost people getting found and starting to come to know Jesus uh, for themselves we, we read about found people beginning to grow as they are fully devoted uh, obedient followers and lonely people being enfolded into the community the supernatural community of God um, it is amazing and in Acts 2 verse 35 um, have I lost there it says this everyone kept feeling a sense of awe there's this real sense of God moving, God's spirit moving um, upon everything. And so we go into Acts chapter 3. And um, in chapter 3, here's a guy we're told in, in Acts chapter 4, in fact, that he's been lame from birth for 40 years. Um, he's never taken a step uh, in his life. He's a beggar. Um, there's no welfare system. There's no support system for him. Just a few friends who carry him every day to this begging spot uh, beside the gates uh, of the temple. Um, and uh, in fact, he's not even got there and he started calling out for money. He started asking for money while he's en route to them, which is when uh, Peter and John get involved. And then he's spectacularly and completely healed of his condition through the power of God's Spirit. No wonder that he is jumping for joy like a little kid and like Sarah was earlier on uh, up on the stage. Okay? And no doubt, with this incredible um, thing that has happened, every one of us will have questions about the mystery of healing uh, in our lives. Because I don't think you can go through life without a lot of questions around this whole topic. You know, why is this person healed and, and that person isn't healed? Um, why is it that, uh, that when I prayed for this, I was spectacularly healed, but when I prayed for that, I wasn't? Um, how come even in the New Testament, you know, this guy in Acts chapter 3, presumably he's been at the temple for the last 40 years, every day that Jesus was ever there, and yet he's not healed. And yet here, when Peter and John come along, he is healed. Um, even Paul, the amazing apostle, who saw incredible healings in remarkable ways in his life, speaks about his very good friend Epaphroditus, who he says he got so ill he nearly died. Um, and got to that desperate, desperate situation uh, in his life. And so we can get into all sorts of theological gymnastics when it comes to healing. And indeed, there's a mystery to healing that none of us will ever be able to answer fully this side uh, of heaven. But here are some things that we do know. We do know that the Bible teaches that one day, all of God's children will get new bodies, 100%. 
Okay, completely brand new, totally souped up, resurrected bodies. Right? And that is an incredible hope uh, that we go for. It's a body that lasts forever. It has no pain, has no sickness, has no limitation at all in all of that. The second thing we know is that God has built into the design of us as human beings an incredible self-healing system where if you get injured, it fixes itself. Okay? If we get ill, the body generally deals with that. It might lay as low for a few days uh, off work as, as our bodies focus its energy on trying to combat whatever it is it's fighting off so that we can then get back into normal life because of that. It's an incredible system that God has designed into our bodies. Our world has been gifted with incredible medics and doctors and surgeons and we live in a time where there's technology like never before and there's pharmacological advances like never before that mean that random illnesses that once would have killed us, we can take a pill, we can have a jab, and seven days later, we're back at work doing everything as normal. People who've lost their limbs can even run at para-Olympic speeds with uh, prosthetic aids. It's remarkable what we see in our world today. And we celebrate that, and we're thankful for all that God does and the way that God is involved in all of that. And for every single person who is, serves in some way within the medical profession, we are truly grateful for you and all that you do. Um, but I also know that uh, there are many people here who, who probably deal with very serious afflictions, either in your own life or in the life of a close one, a loved one. Some of you might even be in non-stop pain with it, debilitating pain with it. Some of you may be facing medical complexities right now that almost seem overwhelming and hopeless to you. What would we say into those situations? Well, number one, we would say pray. Pray that God would directly and uh, dramatically touch and heal and change that situation. Because it is very easy to get stuck in the theological gymnastics of will God or won't God rather than simply coming before him and asking him. Because um, as, as it's written in Philippians 4, 6, you know, we're to present our requests before God. That's the simplicity of it. We're to bring our requests before God, a God who has, has the power to change things in our lives. And so we pray, dear God, will you reach down and supernaturally restore this person to health as soon as possible? I believe in my own life I've experienced dramatic healing of God as well as a long list of things that haven't been. But uh, when, I, um, when I was a bit younger, I had a very tricky neck problem. Um, it was a rugby injury that I picked up uh, um, when I was at, towards the end of school. Um, I was regularly down at A&E. I was regularly getting collars fitted to my neck. Um, I had problems uh, kind of sleeping at night, particularly when you go on these kind of uh, Christian summer mission trips where all you get is a floor, you know, and uh, a campsite or whatever. Very difficult. And I had to kind of find difficult ways to sleep uh, through all of that. On one occasion, I went to, I was regularly getting x-rayed for it because it would go again, it would go again. And I overheard a doctor, I think it was a doctor, not, not the wisest doctor I have to say at this point, but never mind. And I overheard him say something which really did not give me any confidence at all that, that this was looking hopeful for my future of my neck. Um, I won't say what he said exactly. But um, it, was, it was a challenge. And then one day, there was, there was a guy, a Christian guy, and he was, he was speaking on healing, and he was praying for people. And while he was speaking, I had a very real sense of warmth on my neck. And at the end, he, he suggested that, that anybody who had would come forward for prayer, and they prayed for me, and actually asked me to do something I really didn't want to do, which was to flick my neck back. It was the last thing I wanted to do, but in faith. 
And uh, all I can say is that as a result of that, that I was remarkably changed, and, I, and I've, I've not experienced um, the problems that I had before that since that, okay, in a remarkable way. And I know there were other people there that day who, who came away with the same ailments they went in. So it's, there's a mystery to this. Um, I don't pretend that there isn't. But we pray that God would directly intervene with his healing hands. But as we continue to pray and we don't see things change, and we continue to have the condition that we have, then, then the, the, our advice is, um, even under God, that we seek great medical advice. You know, we get under the best, um, skill, more skilled uh, medics that there are because God also heals people through the skilled hands of others. And uh, sometimes, many months go by and we pray, and many years go by and we get medical advice, and still the condition gets seriously worse and worse. And uh, we move towards the end of our life, perhaps, or we're stuck with a limitation, or we're stuck with a, a suffering uh, in our lives. But then we can hang on to the hope that right on the other side, there's paradise. Okay? There is a resurrection body. We do get everything absolutely renewed. It is waiting for us to enjoy for the whole uh, of eternity. That's what the Bible teaches us. So my frame, my personal refrain is prayer, paracetamol, and paradise. Okay? Prayer, always pray. Okay? Paracetamol or penicillin if it gets more serious or see a physician. But ultimately, we have paradise as well. And that's the kind of how I handle <laughs> all of that. Because all of these things are valid in our lives. So let's take us back to this passage in Acts chapter 3. And uh, let me read uh, what it says, because I realize I've not read it. I didn't read it, did I? I didn't read it. I was going to read it sort of a little bit earlier, but here we go. So all of these amazing things have happened in Jerusalem. What happens next? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. And at three in the afternoon, now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And this is the first miracle of the church. The first miracle of the church um, is to an individual. It starts with the individual. Um, I remember when I, I lived in Balsall Heath. And part of my reason for living in Balsall Heath was I wanted to try and connect with people of other faith. I wanted to share some of, of the Christian story with people of other faith. And I remember walking down the street one day, and I met a guy, and his brother was seriously ill. His brother, he was a, he was a Muslim guy, um, but his brother came over from Pakistan because he had leukemia, and he was living in the mosque um, to get treatment from um, the hospital in Birmingham. And, he said, he's, and I said, well, can I come and pray for him? Because I don't know what else to do, really. So I used to meet up with him. Our, our, our conversation, was, our language was a, was a struggle. 
Um, I used to take our, our wedding photographs around, actually, just to share something of our life and just to share a story. And I'd go up and meet with him every week, and I would pray with him every week, and I'd try and answer some of the questions with what English he had and what English I had. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was better than my Urdu, that's all I'm saying. And, uh, and, you know, and we got him a Bible and all the rest of it. But it started with an individual. Um, and, I mean, sadly, um, Ijaz eventually died, but he phoned me from the hospital just before he was about to die, and he said that our conversations have really helped me face death. Now, I don't know what all of that means and all the rest of it, but it starts with the individual. I got an opportunity later on in Balsahi to share with 70 elderly gentlemen um, and, uh, and just share something of the grace of God with them. But God may bring the crowds, but it always starts with the individual. And therefore, in our lives, we're to look for the one. We're to look for the person on your front line. Now, who's the one at your place of work, in your community, wherever you are uh, during the week? And, and just start with the person, the individual. The church's mission starts there. The church's gift is healing and wholeness. That can be spiritual healing, salvation, um, if you like. It's uh, emotional healing for fear, uh, for anger, for hurts in people's lives, for unforgiveness in people's lives. It's prayer for, the, for physical healing in people's lives. What's the need of the person? And it can be quite unexpected what that need is. I was, uh, just a few weeks ago, we were, uh, sadly, our car broke down and uh, the gearbox gave up the ghost somewhere near Hull. And uh, so we were dependent on the recovery uh, vehicle team and, uh, to get us back from there. And I'm chatting to uh, one of the, the breakdown guys as we're coming back. And he was not an easy guy to chat to. He was not the chattiest person in the world. Um, and uh, as we're going past Donington Park, I find out he's into heavy metal and uh, the Download Festival. So that was, that was good. And uh, he also, I discover, has got a passion for breakdown recovery vehicles. It's not a passion I share. Um, it was not an easy conversation to keep going after that. Nevertheless, somehow we managed. And uh, he, came to, he asked me whether I could help him find five new recovery vehicles. Now, I'm a, I'm a resourceful guy. You know, I like to think I am. But this is really stretching it for me. And I didn't really know where to go. But afterwards, I was just thinking about it. I was reflecting on it. I was thinking, what could I have shared with this guy? Because I was completely lost at, the mo at that moment. And I thought, actually, I could have said, let's pray. Let's pray that God will remarkably provide you with five recovery vehicles. Because if he does and he comes through, then he's going to start to think, is there something in this? You know, and actually, the reality is, there's a lot of people in our world who are looking for different types of recovery vehicles. They're not looking for those, but they're looking for things because their lives need recovery. People's lives are hurting. And it may be that, um, you know, the down and out, we, we obviously spot them, don't we? But there are so many people who are the up and outs. You know, people who on the surface seem to have it all together. Life seems to be flying, but actually they're, uh, they've really not got it together. They're financially overextended. They don't know how to handle their kids. Their relationships are falling apart. Jobs are not working out for them. They've lost self-esteem. People are guilty. People are depressed. You know, they don't know where to turn. And, and the church's gift is healing, very often through prayer and reaching out to them, whether it's spiritual, emotional, uh, physical, or even practical. Pray for some recovery vehicles. The church's method in this passage is people. Here it's Peter and John. Okay, it's not some fancy thing. It's just Peter and John. Um, they're quite different characters. Peter was the doer, you know, he's always jumping in and doing everything. John's the dreamer. 
Uh, and in John 21, they appear to have a, a little kind of irritated one another a little bit about where their, their lives were going before Jesus. But here they're a team. They're complementing one another. They need each other. And they step into this situation with the lame beggar as a step of faith. And God does something. And off the back of God doing something, then they get this incredible opportunity to explain uh, about this Jesus. And we have Peter's second sermon in the book of Acts, which is what the most of chapter three is about. And if you call yourself a Christian today, then in our lives, God has already done some transforming work in us. He's already given us a transformation in our lives that should evoke questions from others. And therefore, Peter goes on later on to write, always be ready Okay, always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. And, uh, and so we're to, we're to do that. And we're to live lives that are transformed. We're to live lives that are on the fully devoted side so that it, it, it provokes questions in people um, to want to know why and, and what, we, what we live for. And if someone is dramatically healed, then that will evoke questions from people very often. But also, when someone is not dramatically healed, but continues living and continues uh, pursuing God faithfully and continues in their faith, that also asks, um, evokes questions in people. It was absolutely brilliant just a few weeks ago to celebrate um, little Joshua um, with Russ and Mary and their family. And, you know, and they shared how at 20 weeks, you know, there was a scan and and they were a bit concerned, and then kind of that kind of cleared up, which is wonderful, and we give thanks to God. And yet, and yet they have the, the challenge of, of Down syndrome. Um, but what was beautiful was just their simple testimony to their wonderful family and friends. There was about 40 came. So it was, they piled in. It was great to have them here. And uh, I know they were nervous. They were sat at the back, but a lot of them, for them to have them here. And just their simple testimony of their joyful acceptance and uh, their celebration of little Joshua is as powerful, if not more powerful, a testimony to what our faith uh, does. It challenges curiosity uh, as much as anything else. God involved in our lives will evoke questions where we can explain the what's, the why's, and speak of Jesus. So the, the lame beggar in Acts chapter 3 uh, is famously known as the man who asked for arms and got legs, as in ALMS. But it may well be that in our lives that, that we're asking for something, but God actually wants to do something even more than what we're asking for. Or it may be that somebody comes to you with a need, and, and what God what really wants to do in their life is way more than what they're asking for. And I, I suppose that if, if you've got Christian faith today, then you would, you would understand yeah, he wants to do way more than just provide practically. He wants to do something way more deep than that in people's lives. But there's a principle there um, as well. And so the church's mission is to the individual. The church's gift is healing and forgiveness. The church's method is through people. And the church's authority, verse 6, is Jesus Christ. Our authority is Jesus. Verse 12 goes on. And they say, Peter and John say, Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or even our godliness we made this man walk? It's, it's nothing to do with that. This is completely to do with Jesus. Okay? It's not them but it's Jesus. And they're very quick to point out that it's all about Jesus. It's not about them. And therefore, each one of us needs that living, vital relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, we don't have anything to, um, of heaven, if you like, to put into someone's life, you know, that heavenly touch into someone's life. It comes because 
of our relationship with Jesus. But as we do live in him, the promise is we will bear much fruit. We will bear much fruit because we abide in him. We live in him. We depend on him. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. And so we develop uh, just a simple but vital relationship uh, with our God. Uh, I love uh, Bill Kane's story. Um, Bill, um, we showed a video of him uh, maybe a year or so back, and he was uh, an American guy who became the warden of the Louisiana State Penitentiary. Um, that prison in America, the most violent prison in America, absolutely turned it round um, miraculously. And he just simply says with his American drawl, he says, you know, I've got to do a little devotional every morning because if I do that little devotion every morning, you're just putting gas in the car. And you're keeping it going because it gets you where you can hear God. It's not that you just all of a sudden, he says, do this or do that. It's just he makes you think it. And then you realize, I couldn't have thought that because it would have been such an awesome thought. And that thought you're having is because you're close to him and you're praying for guidance. And that will be different for each one of us, but each one of us has to find that vital relationship with Jesus in our lives because it's his authority by which we live and, and which we do everything. And then fifthly, the church's message is the risen Jesus. Verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Powerful in their witness to this. They saw it, they know it. Um, we were there. Uh, the Greek word for author of life isn't really what we think of as an author. Um, it's rather uh, someone who's originated or founded a movement and continues as the leader. So the leader of a line, imagine a kind of line. Somebody started the line and they're continuing, kind of taking that line forward, pioneering um, with many others uh, following. And Jesus is that. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the one that we're to follow. And he's the risen leader. He's the one who's alive. So he, he offers us fullness of life, but he also brings us into and leads us into the reality of fullness of life if we follow him. He died to make it possible, but he didn't stay dead. He came alive again um, to lead us into that reality. And so Luke writes, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So the key to fullness of life and the key to times of refreshing, and we could all do with all of those uh, in some way, is repentance and turning to God. Okay? It's turning our lives back uh, to God, realizing that he is the risen Jesus, that he really is near to all of us, waiting for us to follow him. And interestingly in this passage, uh, the beggar is not actually giving attention to Peter and John. Um, he wasn't even looking at them, and when they say, say look at us, and then he gives them their attention. And I think it's the same with our lives because every, metaphorically speaking, every single one of us is born spiritually lame from birth. Yeah? And, and very often we, we think it's God that's not giving us attention. We think, oh, God's not paying attention to me. But the reality is probably that we're not giving attention to God. We might even be calling out, but are we actually giving him our attention? Are we fixing our eyes on him because he wants every single one of us born spiritually lame to be walking and leaping and praising him in our lives finding our feet uh, again and we do that as we give him uh, our attention so our message 
is the risen Jesus and our lives are to follow uh, that risen Jesus.